0: Well, welcome to lesson eight on the gift of tongues, and this one just happens to coincide. It's a coincidence that the title is called Eight Things Tongues Accomplishes, and this is lesson eight. I used to teach this to seven things, and then I found an eighth thing, which just goes to show you that even though you've studied something all your life doesn't mean you've uncovered all there is to it. And so actually, even in writing this curriculum, I had to go back and tweak it. I said, wait, there's eight things. what other lesson did I write that said there's only seven things? So we're going to look at this. And again, as a review, we've been teaching and studying on the gift of tongues. And we've called it the gift of tongues and not just the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because the gift of tongues includes both the gifts of the Spirit that demand the interpretation of tongues. But also it includes the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And so we're covering both perspectives here, or both aspects of this gift But this one we wanna focus on, eight things tongues can accomplish. Uh, Because tongues is just like English, except you don't understand it, and it's still gonna do the will of God. We understand that tongues, one of the important things about tongues is that the enemy can't understand it, and oftentimes you can't, and that's the way God likes it. Sometimes when we understand things, we run from them, we get afraid of them, or we try to help them. You don't know, think about Moses, the second he realized he was called to deliver Israel, he got to work right away, killing Egyptians. <laughs> well, yes, Moses, that is what you're called to do, but not now. In fact, uh, you need 40 more years of training. And so when he waited on God's timing, boy, did he know how to kill Egyptians. He just didn't do one and bury him in the sand, he buried him in the bottom of the ocean. So big difference. And so sometimes when we know the will of God, we try to accomplish it now. And I, I know full well, God hides these things from us. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, the secret thing belongs to the Lord. And as Jesus Christ said in the gospels, in John's gospel, he said, I have many things yet to say unto you, but you're not able to hear them. And so that goes for things today in our life. Every, every day we could turn to John's gospel, I think it's chapter 16, and read where the Lord said, I have many things yet to say unto you, but you're not able to bear them yet. And so one of the ways we can in the New Testament continue to pray these things out without understanding them is through the gift of tongues, and we'll cover that. We're going to also see in this lesson that we'll see all these things that praying in the Spirit accomplishes, and you'll say, well, no wonder this thing's so hotly debated and contested and why the enemy and religion resists it so much. And why you could even get among other believers and it it almost try to suck it out of you and dry the thing up. Because tongues is a very critical tool. Jesus Christ said in John's gospel, he said, it's better for you that I leave you. Think about those words. Jesus told his disciples, it is better for you that I, in a sense, abandon you. Now we know he's not abandoning us, but those are hard words. I'm going to leave you. It's good for you that I leave you. And you could just probably hear their hearts break. What? What? He said, because if I don't leave you, I can't send you the comforter who is the Holy Ghost. But if I do leave you, and the Greek says, I will send you the same Holy Spirit who's just like me. And then we know he went on to say, and the things that I do, you'll do and greater still. Why? Because of the same Holy Spirit. And so we understand one of the critical things of the Holy Spirit is helping us to do what Jesus Christ was able to do. Now, he had the spirit without measure, according to John chapter one. We just have a spirit, the spirit with a measure. And the whole body of Christ around the world combined together equals the same measure that Jesus Christ had in one person. We are his body. We are just members in particular. So anytime you think you've got something, you just have to divide that or multiply it by how many Christians are on the planet. If there's three billion Christians, there's three billion measures that comes together equals one part that Jesus Christ had so we're important but not that important you just have a billionth of what Jesus did (laughs) amen so we can understand why this thing's so hotly contested and debated because it's a powerful tool it allows us to do things for the kingdom of God that we couldn't do just as mere mortals or much less as Christians who don't have this experience that's not to put them down That's often been uh, the debate. Well, you tongue talkers just think you're so much better than us. Absolutely not. I just have one more tool that you don't. But, and I've said this many times to Pentecostals, you can't think you're better than the Baptists or the Methodists or the Presbyterians. They often have more joy, peace, and stability. And sometimes what you need is more peace. You don't need more tongues, you just need more joy. Sometimes you just need to be a little bit more stable and less goofy. If I could trade it, if I could have tongues or peace, I'd take peace. Thank God I can have both. So we're not trying to say we're better. We just happen to be participating in something the Lord promised, just like you can't speak in tongues and have zero confidence. Amen. But confidence is promised to you. You can have love, joy, peace, and confidence, but not have tongues, though tongues is promised to you. All right, so enough of that introduction. Let's let's get in this curriculum here. God is a God of purpose. Everything he does has a purpose. His gift of tongues is no different. We've already thoroughly proven that tongues is over a hundred times in the Bible, the gifts of the spirit. And so there's, there's a a movement today to reduce this thing and say, well, it's not that important. Or as some ignorant Christians say, well, that's just jibber jabber. That's just useless. That's purposeless. It's pointless. Well, then why is it in the Bible over a hundred times? That's just an ignorant statement. That's just one, one friend said, uh, when his mama got spirit filled, his dad made fun of his mom and said, well, there she goes into jib jib land again. Making fun of it. Well, make fun of it if you want. God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. But it's not, it's not just foolish. God does everything on purpose. Tongues is no different. Obviously, he thinks we need help. Amen. Tongues are often, have often, has often been criticized by the ill-informed and called gibberish or nonsense. But does it really sound like God to do something that is either nonsense or mere gibberish? Of course not. If Isaiah foretold the phenomena we know is speaking in tongues approximately 800 years before Pentecost, wouldn't it serve a purpose? If one of the prophets, one of the prophets who prophesied more about Jesus Christ than just about anybody else other than King David in the Psalms, if he's talking about tongues in Isaiah 28, does it sound like it's that purposeless? No. Thankfully, the New Testament reveals to us all the great things praying in tongues accomplishes. We'll look at all these eight things that praying in tongues can do in our lives, and of course, the purpose of this is to really encourage us to do it more. And uh, we are again—we are a tongue-talking church. We're not ashamed of it. We, there are Pentecostal churches that are more and more ashamed. I just got—I had a phone call when we were going to South Africa a few months ago now, and one of my good friends—I don't—he was just telling me. He said, uh, I, "I'm in line at Wendy's getting breakfast, or no, we, we, where were we at? We're at uh, Popeyes." getting Popeye's at the airport, and I get the phone call, and he just says, you know what I just heard? This Pentecostal denomination, just its latest statistic says only 30% of their preachers pray in tongues anymore. It's a Pentecostal denomination. You think 100% of their pastors pray in tongues. The newest statistic is only 30% of them pray in tongues. He said, and of them, only 10% practice it in their church. So, what fraction of that major Pentecostal denomination is still participating, and what makes them Pentecostal? We see the enemy is trying to squish this thing. We want to make sure we stay with it. In this church, we're not ashamed of it. We're not going to back down. As a pastor, I can tell you this uh, it hasn't happened recently, but probably two years ago, there was a strong season where something was trying to tell me, back off, back off. You have visitors, don't pray in the Spirit. And I'd have to resist it, even in the pulpit, and say, just for that. Yeah, take that. Just to do it. Like I'm going to obey some unbeliever. Amen. I mean, I've been praying in tongues 19 years now. You can't tell me it's not for today. It's been for me for today and every day for the last 19 years. So let's look at this. The two styles of tongues. The Greek word for tongues is glossa and is defined as the language or dialect used by a particular people distinct from that of other nations. It is a language. So when we're praying in tongues, we're praying in a language. The Bible tells us that tongues can be categorized into two styles, the tongues of men and Uh, or earthly languages and the tongues of angels or heavenly languages. We covered this last week, but it's just a review. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So love is the critical issue here. And we know all Pentecostals, we've known Pentecostals that get into pride over praying in tongues and they don't have any love. In that case, Paul's saying, what's the big deal? Who cares what you can pray in if you can't pray in love? And as we said, we quoted Reverend Keith Moore, he said, he likes to think of this, if you don't have love working in your life, even though you are spirit-filled, you're just a tinkle, tinkle, ding-dong, because you're a sounding cymbal and a a tinkling gong. So then tongues is the Holy Spirit using both earthly and heavenly languages to speak and declare the will of God through our mouths. There are approximately 6,500 spoken languages in the earth today, and only God knows how many different angelic languages there are. So God has chosen to declare His will out of our mouths using thousands of different languages, simply because He can. Doesn't that sound like God? Just to do it, just because He can. Uh, somebody, when I was in college, and way too cerebral, and way too, you know, cerebral. <laughs> of course, you know, my majors were all sciences, so I was just a bit too cerebral. You, you know, you, you, as a college kid who's kind of investigating your your faith, you get to asking you know, questions that are sincere heart. I remember asking, well, if we live on planet Earth, why did God make all these stars and cosmoses and galaxies and, and constellations? And one, one teacher told me, because he's God and he can. Yeah. All right, that settles that. He's infinite and we're finite. Somebody also said, well, if, if, we're, if he's God and he can make us as big as, as big as he wanted to, how come we're only five and a half, six feet tall? Well, the answer is only we say we're five and a half or six feet tall. It's all relative. What if we're five light years tall and a light year is bigger than our five light years? It's all relative. God is infinite. Even if we were a billion miles tall, it'd still be nothing compared to God's infinitesimalness. So all these questions you can get to scratch around. But as I have learned to say, you're not going to split the galaxy with that dull brain of yours. You're just not going to solve all the mysteries of the galaxy. And as another person pointed out, um, so they said, well, how do you know there's a God? And the question we always would ask, well, do you know everything? Do you know 50% of everything? Do you know 10% of everything? Let's be generous and say, you know, 25% of everything there is to know. And everybody says, well, of course I don't know 25% of everything. Well, let's just say you do. We'll be generous. Don't you think in the other 75% of everything that you don't know, there's room for God? And that usually shuts them up and they walk away and go to hell or do whatever they're gonna do because they've got their mind made up. God allows us to pray in all these different kinds of tongues simply because he can. Why did he make trillions upon trillions of stars? Genesis one tells us for signs and seasons so you can know what time it is on planet earth. Did you know that our watches and our clocks that are called atomic clocks are set by the movement of the stars? That's pretty, and that's more accurate than the the megahertz frequency of a vibrating quartz crystal with an electronic current running through it. We set the atomic clocks to the movement of the stars because Genesis 1 says, and the stars and the moon he gave for times and seasons, simply because he can. Why do we pray in tongues? Because we can, because God said so. Haven't you ever said that as a dad? Because I said so. Lydia is now in that phase. How come? Because I said so. And you know what? That's all I feel like telling her. Because any explanation is way beyond her three-year comprehension. How come, Daddy? Because I said so. And maybe when she's 15, I'll explain a little bit more. Amen. And maybe when we get a little bit older, he'll explain a little bit more to us too. Because he has yet many things to say unto us, but we cannot yet comprehend them. All right. Here's number one of the eight things. No particular order here. But here's the first thing you actually see tongues does in the whole New Testament. It declares God's wonderful works. Praise God. One of the, everyone's going, what are you saying when you're praying in that there jib jib language? Well, I'm according to the Bible declaring God's wonderful works. When's the last time you did that in English? When's the last time you just stopped and said, oh, Lord, you created the heavens and the earth. You created puppy dogs. You... I had this revelation. I was at Mark Crevels the other day, and uh, we were doing something on my truck, and he had a big old bowl of, uh, bowl of nuts. And I said, can I have some nuts? He said, sure. So I sat there, and I started cracking nuts, you know, like walnuts and walnuts and chestnuts and some nuts. I didn't even know what they were, but I thought, well, if they're in the bowl, they've got to be edible. So I was cracking them open, and I, was, I, was, I had like an epiphany. I said, God made nuts and I can eat them, and they taste good, and they grow on trees, and the squirrels can eat them. And I said, Mark, how did these evolve if we believe in evolution? I mean, really, how does a tree say, I'm gonna grow a thing called a nut, and I'm gonna get the recipe right so that it can produce both a tree or feed a squirrel or a human being? And I just sat there, and in my heart I said, Lord, you are so wonderful. You made nuts. I mean, I didn't say it with my mouth because, well, Mark's half crazy anyway. He'd think I was even as crazy as he is. (laughs) But I just, I said, Lord, you are wonderful. You made nuts and I can sit here and eat them and I like them. And you made a tough outer shell and it's all a design. Praying in tongues, one of the things it does is it declares God's wonderful works, which we don't do enough in English. We're too busy declaring our wonderful works. But the first thing the Bible tells us is that praying in tongues declares God's wonderful works. Acts two eleven says, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues, the wonderful works of God. This is the day of Pentecost. This is the first time the earth had ever seen what is called the gift of tongues. And the testimony of all these holy devout Jews from all over the world said is, these guys are Galileans. They don't even hardly speak Hebrew or Greek. And we're hearing them in all of our native tongues. And what are they saying? They're worshiping the God we worship, and they're declaring how wonderful He is. Very first manifestation. The very first time anyone ever spoke in tongues, they declared the wonderful works of God Almighty. The many nationalities present at Pentecost testified that what they were hearing was a group of unlearned Galileans declaring God's greatness in other earthly tongues. You know, because the ignorant Christians say, well, you better be careful about their tongues. You just don't know what you're saying. Sir, I didn't understand half of what you just said. So I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit more than I trust your broken English. Because I trust the Holy Spirit to only do what is good and perfect in my life. (laughs) Evidently, if you read the first couple of verses of chapter two, at least 16 different languages were represented that day, all simply worshiping God in another language by declaring his wonderful works. So that's the first thing tongues does as represented in the scriptures, in the chronology of the Bible, declare God's wonderful works. We could do it a lot more in English. Don't shout me down for praying in tongues, declaring the wonderful works of God until you're doing it just as much in English. Amen. 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 Number two, self-intercession. This one has gotta be my favorite. Self-intercession. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. That word means weakness, sometimes sickness, sometimes just weakness. Here, the weakness or the infirmity is not sickness. By context, we know the weakness is ignorance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. So what's the weakness? Knowledge. We don't know how to pray for as we ought. So, okay, how does the Spirit help us in this weakness? But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, this is Romans chapter 8. This isn't even known as a Pentecostal verse. And yet, how many Christians outside of Pentecostal circles have ever had this verse work in their life? Every Christian should, but not every Christian gets to experience this because not every Christian believes in this working of the Spirit. And he that searches the hearts, that's Jesus knows what is the mind or the purpose and intention of the spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I always like to point out in this verse, there you have the entire Godhead, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father working. That verse right there proves we have a trinity, along with about 40 other verses that prove we have a trinity. But I want you to see that we're so goofed up, that it involves the entire trinity, it requires the entire trinity to self-intercede on our ignorance. No amount of seminary can, can do, undo the need for this kind of action in our life. No amount of higher education, and I'm highly educated, and then some that don't have any postgraduate degrees, but I need this. My pastor, Dr. Barclay, is a PhD. He needs this. You don't ever get to a place, the Apostle Paul, he was probably the most learned of all the apostles, bar none. And he said, I pray in tongues more than Mm y'all. He also probably would admit he probably needed more help than us all. He did testify, I'm a murderer. Murderers need help. Amen. So we see that here, one of the most powerful, in my opinion, uses of tongues, one of the most powerful things it accomplishes is self-intercession for us. Mm -hmm. Because as the verse says, I'm so thankful Paul explained it, the Lord Jesus searches our hearts. Mm -hmm. What's he looking for? Goofy issues. According to Jeremiah 17, he searches the hearts. According to Revelation chapter two, he searches the hearts. And here in Romans eight, he searches the hearts and he knows and works with the Holy Spirit because he knows the purpose of the Holy Spirit. What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? The last part of the verse tells us to make intercession for us according to the will of the Father. So how it really happens is the Lord Jesus, who lives in us, searches our hearts and proves our emotions. And he says, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got a problem. Holy Spirit, I know one of your jobs here is to self-intercede for these guys. Uh, Father, do you mind if I give the Holy Spirit something to pray because we got problems here. And of course, the Father says, I know all things. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. And then the Holy Spirit moans and groans through us in an inarticulate language, as the Greek language says. And we intercede for ourselves. Now, I think it would break our hearts if we knew how messed up we really were. (laughs) Because we know how we are and it still breaks our heart what about if the intercession is something you're about to do i think we might live in so much fear we wouldn't be able to function if we knew everything we had to pray for ourselves if we knew sometimes the self-intercession isn't just how goofy we are but something that may try to happen to us tomorrow and if you knew what was going to try to happen and you didn't trust the lord you might not even go there tomorrow but the lord still wants you to it, what if the Lord says, there's going to be a car accident, but I still want him to go. We're going to protect him through the car accident. Well, you'd be terrified and stay at home. Yes. Or there's going to be an Ebola outbreak while they're ministering in Sierra Leone. But I still want them to go to Sierra Leone. So we're going to intercede to make sure they're protected and healthy. Americans are probably the most fearful people on the planet. Yes. We're definitely the most psychologically medicated So God has to somehow use us because we have all the money to preach the gospel with. So self-intercession through the Holy Ghost in tongues seems to be one of those critical ways. I think we can see how valuable a tool this is. Guys, anytime we pray in tongues, I don't know, I don't have an estimate. Maybe we could say from the Bible, one eighth of your praying in tongues is self-intercession because there's eight uses of it. I bet it'd be a little bit more than that. Amen. One of man's greatest weaknesses is ignorance concerning the will of God. Two or three times, Paul prays that they would not be ignorant of the will of God throughout his epistles. Consequently, if left to our own knowledge and understanding, we would not be able to accurately pray out the plan and will of God. At times, the Holy Spirit will intercede for us with unspeakable yearnings and groanings too deep for the utterance. That's what the Amplified says. This type of self, of deep self-intercession involves the entire Trinity. Jesus searches our hearts, revealing it to the father who then gives orders for the Holy Spirit to intercede on behalf of you and me through our own mouths in order to keep us in the will of God. Amen. Hallelujah for that. I've got many stories. You've got stories of people, even in our own life, out of the will of God, but yet still praying in the spirit, knowing I'm getting myself back in line. I'm getting myself back in line. I know when I'm under the most attack, I'll literally walk around and groan within myself. And, and you know, my wife will look at me, are you okay? I'm all right. Holy Spirit's just helping me. And just walk around just, oh go, 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 just groaning, trying to work this thing out. The Bible says Jesus groaned in the spirit. The Bible says Paul groaned in the spirit. Aren't those two great role models? Amen. Our next thing, and this is one of my favorite. This is one we'll probably settle on for more time than any of the others It's, we speak mysteries. The third thing the Bible lets us know tongues accomplishes in our life is mystery speaking. Speaking out mysteries. Uh, Paul said 1 Corinthians 14:4, 4, he excuse me, uh, 1 Corinthians 14:2, for he that speaks in the unknown tongue speaks not unto men. Very clearly there when you pray in tongues you're not speaking to men. So why do you need interpretation? Unless, of course, it's the gift of the Spirit that requires it. But unto God. So there is a... Now, think about that. Now, this is kind of a a side note to last week's lesson. There is a time when you pray in tongues, and it is for men. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That requires interpretation. But here, Paul clearly is distinguishing a different kind of tongue that he very clearly says, when you do this, you're not talking to men. So if you're not talking to men, why is there need of an interpretation? There isn't. So, either that or Paul's schizophrenic, and the Bible contradicts itself, which we don't believe either. So, when you pray in tongues, you speak not unto men but unto God, for no man understands him. Howbeit, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. So, very clearly here, one of the things we do when we pray in tongues is we speak mysteries. What is a mystery? The Greek word is mysterion hidden thing, secret, a hidden purpose or counsel, a secret will. Used of God, the secret counsels which God, which govern God in dealings with the righteous, which are hidden from ungodly and wicked men, but plain to the godly. So one of the things we do according to the Greek when we pray in tongues is we are praying out hidden purposes and counsel. Thank God for that. Hidden hidden things, hidden plans. The Greek word mysterion, the root is the Greek word muse. We've all heard that that's kind of an artsy, fartsy, beatnik term, my muse. Well, it's almost a sexist term because it means the girl that just sits there and doesn't say anything, right? That's what a muse is, my muse. Just sit there and look pretty. The word muse means without speech, unspoken. So the contradiction here in the Greek is that we're speaking things that are unspoken. Why are they unspoken? Because we're totally ignorant of them. So we can't speak to them. But the Holy Spirit knows them, they're not ignorant to him. And yet according to the the compound word mysterion, they are hidden plans, unspoken plans, and they must be prayed out. If it's the will of God, and according to the Greek it is, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, it has to be communicated. It has to be spoken out. It has to be prayed out. Otherwise, how does the will of God come to pass without prayer? It does not. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist church, he said, it seems as though God can do nothing except we, his people, pray it out first. Well, what about the hidden agendas of God? What about the hidden things? They have to be prayed out too. What about for our individual and private lives? We're supposed to do greater things than Jesus Christ according to Jesus Christ. But our, our, our knowledge is far, far limited. We don't know what Jesus Christ knew. He was Christ. We can barely have the mind of him. So we are given this thing called the gift of tongues to pray out these unspoken things. And you and I know our understanding is corrupt. Our understanding is American Our understanding is based on our upbringing. Our understanding is biased based on our cultural slant. Our understanding is biased based on the part of the country we grew up in or the denomination we grew up in. But the Holy Spirit sees through all of that, cuts through all of that, and he can, through the gift of tongues, still pray out what he wants, and we're not going to be able to stop it, which is a wonderful thing. I, I like to use Myself, for example, I, for the first 10 years of my rededicated life with Christ, I was going to go be a missionary. I was going to go be a missionary. I was going to go be a missionary. That was my heart. You can't trust your heart. It's desperately wicked, incurably sick. Who can know it? Jesus knows it. He tries the hearts. Then he says, Holy Spirit, intercede. They're messed up. Our dreams and our ambitions are often very selfish and highly American. And yet God still wants his will done. How many Christians have tried to fulfill the will of God in their own knowledge and understanding? Many. Many and they all fail. And so I wanted to be a missionary, which is a noble cause, but it wasn't the will of God. And so I'm convinced praying in tongues for 15 years, one of the things I kept praying was the hidden agenda of God, which is what the Greek calls it. You're going to be a pastor. You're going to be a pastor. You're going to be a pastor. You're going to pastor in Grafted Word Church. You're going to move back to Cookful." Well, if I'd have known that, I'd have probably kicked and fought and said, Not cookful. Can anything good come of cookful? Not cookful. I'm bigger than cookful. This is the smallest place I've lived in my whole life. I was glad when they said, Let us depart from this town. Because <laughs> that was my cultural slant in bigotry, having been raised in bigger cities than cookful, a little bit more educated cities than cookful, is my bias. And if I had trusted in my own intellect and insight to fulfill the will of God, I'd probably be dead because I was headed to Sierra Leone where everybody's still dying of Ebola right after the last genocide of blood diamonds cutting hands off of people. So I thank God that as a Baptist, I got spirit filled and spoke in tongues and I have two healthy arms and no Ebola and I'm pastoring the will of God. You ought to be doing the same thing too. I'm convinced you can disagree with me, but my personal doctrine says you'll never fulfill the will of God without tongues. Otherwise, why would you need it? Jesus. One of the things Jesus Christ said was, it, "If I don't go, you can't have it, and it's better for you to go that I go so you can have it." I really wonder how many Christians will get to heaven and they will have done their best, but their best is not the Holy Ghost's best. We forget that we've been given the Holy Ghost to help us. Now, many churches try to help the Holy Ghost. They tell him when he can and can't operate, how he can and can't do things. And they say, you know, Holy Ghost, I don't know if you got our memo or our doctrinal statement. You don't do that anymore. Holy Spirit, did did you not know in our cemeteries, I mean, seminaries, we're fully convinced you don't manifest like this anymore. So what are you doing? And the Holy Spirit just says, well, I'll go where I needed because apparently you don't need me. And you get to quench the Holy Spirit in your life or grieve the Holy Spirit in your life or frustrate the Holy Spirit in your life or blaspheme the Holy Spirit in your life. So I'm thankful we can pray in tongues and accomplish things that our mindset, our cultural bias, our upbringing bias, our racial bias, our financial bias, our educational bias. I'm glad the Holy Spirit helps make intercession with speaking unspoken mysteries. I I always liken it to one of the great things the Lord on this, he ever showed me, was prayer prays out your future. It prays out the choo-choo tracks. The train, you think about the great continental, intercontinental railroad track, the train can only go as far as tracks. Track stop, train stop, right? So even when they were doing the intercontinental, the great railroad across country, the trains would have to back up five or 10 miles to reload all the supplies and then pull forward to unload all the steel and all the wood for the coolies, which were the Asians building it from San Francisco and all the whites and the Irish and the blacks to build it coming from the East. Prayer is the same thing. It lays out the tracks of God's plan for your life. So the more you pray, the more your tracks are laid out, the faster you can go, but you don't pray. Just stay there. But there does come a time when you're looking at mountains and you think you know the best way through the mountains. And the Holy Ghost knows a better way. And sometimes we purpose and we plan in our mind where we're going for God. And that's when I'm thoroughly convinced you can disagree, but you don't have a life that qualifies you to disagree. (laughs) Because you haven't lived it out. Because I'm speaking from experience. You're convinced you're going this way, and in tongues, the Holy Ghost is praying out your tracks over this mountain, down in this valley, through this mountain, on the top. You're going to enjoy the top. Just trust me when you get there. Why would you go over there? It's not even the will of God for you, but you're convinced it is, so that's the direction you march. That's what praying in tongues, one of the eight things it does for you. It gets you where you're supposed to be, irregardless or regardless of your ignorance, thinking and your ignorant little, as I call it, possum holler dream for your life. Because whatever you and I dream for our life, it's limited to where we were raised. Amen. It's limited to our upbringing and God just has bigger. It is very clearly from this text that at times as the Holy Spirit gives the utterance, we must declare mysteries, hidden things, secrets, hidden purposes. These are mysteries to us, not to God. God knows everything. So it must be prayed out Otherwise, you'll not fulfill it. I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, if I wasn't spirit-filled, a tongue-talking Christian, that I would have ended up in Africa prematurely and dead. I even told the flight guy when I was rebooking my flight out of the Philippines to come back home, he said, you're in the military. I said, no. He said, well, why don't you feel, why don't you want to go to the Philippines? I said, I don't feel good about it. He said, what were you going to go do? I said, I was going to be a missionary. He said, wait, wait you're going to be a missionary, but you don't feel good about it. I said, I feel horrible about it. I have no peace. He said, well, that makes no sense. I said, well, that might be why there's so many dead missionaries because they're never meant to be there in the first place. I was about to be one of them, but thank God the Holy Ghost had, I'm convinced for 10 years, the second my heart went this way, the Holy Ghost started praying me that way. There's no sense in praying for things you're not goofed up in. Amen. We could almost say in some regards this ties into the self-intercession too. But these mysteries also include good things, things you have no idea about. And God has to get you there. You do realize if if we were left to our own devices to serve God, we wouldn't serve him. If it were up to us, we wouldn't serve God. Because flesh doesn't want to. I I have a new maxim I just coined uh, that most Christians want to serve a God they don't have to serve. Because when you serve God, you don't just come to church once a week. You don't just give God your spare change. You give him everything. So many Christians, they're still looking for their Jesus to serve that they don't have to serve. Because that way they can still stay an American. The Bible tells us our father of faith, Abraham, he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. He sought his true country. The Hebrew says his mother, his fatherland, not his motherland. Humans say the term motherland. He called it in the Hebrew, "my father's land." Before they saw God as a father, so we tongues helps us to achieve all of these things. Self edification. Got to move here. One of the things we do in tongues is we edify ourselves. First Corinthians 14 4. He that speaks in unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. Tongues is not spoken down on, it's just saying two different terms, types of edification. Jude 19 and 20 says, These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. Speaking of the heretics in the previous 19 verses. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. The Hebrew the Greek word says edify, edification. Uh, a tower is called an edifice, a strong tower. Another term is called an edifice, built up. This is what we do, praying in the spirit. He says, build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. I've never met a non-tongue talker be able to explain that using your known language. You can't explain that. It has to be a tongues thing. Self-edification is an extremely vital part of the Christian walk. We won't always have someone around us to encourage us, right? What are you going to do at 2 a.m.? But with tongues, we can always encourage ourselves. Praying in tongues is one way, not the only way, but it's one way to build yourself up. Pray, what? You mean praying in tongues? One of the things we do is pray? Yeah, that should be an obvious one. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit. So one of the things we do in tongues is we pray in the Spirit. Now, there are seven types of prayer, according to the New Testament. There's travailings, there's intercessions, there's petitions, there's supplications, there's giving of thanks, there's praise, there's a lot of them. So this one just kind of covers everything. We don't know. Sometimes when we're praying in tongues, we're just supplicating. Sometimes we're praying in tongues, we're making petitions. Sometimes, as we've said, we're praying in tongues, we're giving thanks unto God. But Paul said very clearly, I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. So there's a time that you pray and there is no understanding. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Paul clearly teaches here that sometimes speaking in tongues is prayer. The New Testament teaches nine different types of prayer. All right, I'm wrong. Not seven, nine. Intercession, travail, groanings, petitions, thanksgiving, supplication, prayer of agreement, Prayer of faith, prayer of consecration. The Holy Spirit is accomplishing one of these nine through us when we pray in tongues. I told you, I think last week, when Jeff Harris and I were in college and he was praying in Japanese, he would have been praying the prayer of consecration. In Japanese, he kept saying, <laughs> which in, in English says, Yes, sir, I understand that. I will do that. Yes, sir, I understand that. I will do that. That's the prayer of consecration. I will do that. I will obey. I will get right on that. Prayer of consecration. But he was doing it in a language he doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And so we were just praying just on a Friday or Saturday night, just hanging out, praying in tongues. And he was consecrating him something to the Father mm-hmm. to do something his, his understanding knew nothing of. Mm-hmm. Amen. Sing. One of the things we can do in tongues is sing. Anybody here ever sung in tongues? Oh, man, it's awesome. I love it. It's fun. 1 Corinthians fourteen fifteen. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will move upon us to just sing in the Spirit. That's so cool. Singing in the Spirit is understood to be singing in other tongues because then Paul contrasts it by saying, I will sing with the understanding also. Both are critical and both are very wonderful. If you pray and just worship the Lord enough, you'll just start, sometimes you'll just start Praying in tongues. Sometimes you'll pray, uh, sing in tongues, excuse me. Sometimes you'll be praying in tongues and it'll just switch over and you'll start singing in tongues. And it's so cool because you, you don't, in a sense, control it. You just go along for the ride and it comes out and it has a little rhythm and it actually makes you a much better singer than you are in the natural. And the keys change and the chords change and your voice goes up and down and you, you just, you can't, it's just fun. It's God, it glorifies Him. Well, and, and then, of course, the, the ignorant Christian says, well, I need to understand it. Well, you don't even understand the 66 books of the Bible or the 32,000 verses. I wish you'd be more demanding on understanding that. <laughs> Since when did you care about understanding? Because if you really were concerned with understanding, you'd study your Bible a lot more. You don't even understand your own self. How many times do you say, well, I don't, I don't know why I just did that. Well, I don't even know why I did that. It's, it's such a fight. It, all it is really for some Christians is a control issue. And it comes back to denominations that are hell-bent on controlling God. Hell-bent, because it ain't heaven-bent. Hell-bent on controlling the Holy Spirit. And if you're going to walk with the Holy Spirit, there are going to be times you are not in control. You're not out of control. You're just not the one in control. Bless. Here's one. 1 Corinthians 14, 16, 17. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit. So there's a blessing that is done with the Spirit. He's talking about we need an interpretation at times. How shall he that occupies the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understands not what you say? For verily thou givest thanks well, but but the other is not edified. So I want to focus here on blessing because the next point is giving thanks. Notice Paul said there's a time when you bless with the spirit. The whole context, this is 1 Corinthians 14, is tongues. There's a time when you pray in tongues and you're pronouncing a blessing. We have no concept as to what that is in modern American English. So let me give you a quick lesson. The modern church doesn't really understand what it means to bless anymore. We say God bless you uh, when we sneeze or pray over the dinner, but that is not what the Bible means by blessing. To bless someone or something means to, according to both the Greek and the Hebrew languages, to invoke blessings, to pronounce blessings or prosperity and peace. So when, when the Bible says, and Joseph blessed his sons, or Jacob blessed, he didn't just say, bless you, bless you. He was actually pronouncing and invoking a divine promise. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, by faith, Jacob blessed the patriarchs. So it was an act of faith worth recording because everything he declared on his deathbed came to pass for his sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. That's what it means to bless with the Spirit. There's a proclamation that goes forth that will come to pass. We just think, bless you. Anybody want to say the blessing? Uh, Thank God for both of them, but that's not what this is referring to. The Greek word uh, eulogio, which is where we get eulogy. Eulogio literally means a speech of goodness and prosperity. We eulogize at a funeral. We're giving a speech of blessing and goodness. We're remembering the good stuff. You know, I've done enough funerals now where you have to make up stuff because the people live like total pagans. So you end up just preaching the gospel. And if you have permission, you say, you don't want to go where they just went. Sometimes you do have to scrounge for the goodness and prosperity to declare. But this refers to the Hebrew practice of declaring a blessing, a divine as opposed to a curse, which is curse, Christians bless. When you curse something, it comes to pass as you said it will. When you bless, it comes to pass as you said it will. That's the difference. We don't understand that in America at all. We're so educated now, and there's nothing wrong with education. Just don't be godless. We're so educated now, we don't believe in the supernatural anymore. It's okay to be educated, but still believe in the supernatural. It's amazing. Many American Christians believe in the God of heaven. They just don't believe, and they believe they're going to heaven. They just don't believe anything else in between here and there. But all the rules of the Old Testament and New Testament still apply. There's still demons to cast out. There's still miracles to work. There's still blessings to declare. There's still cursings to resist. And we understand that. That's why when you go to the third world countries, you'll find Presbyterians that operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And you'll find Methodists that operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And you'll find Baptists because their third world, they just came out of the witch doctor's hut. They just had demons cast out of their baby. You can't tell a Catholic in Africa there's no such thing as tongues or demons because they were operating in the demon power when they were a witch. And they come over to the Catholic Church and they meet Jesus and Jesus does something great. It's only in America through our higher education that we've lowered God. Amen. But I think this church proves because we have a lot of highly educated people here, two doctors in the house in this little setting. we can have education and still be supernatural too. Really, the reason I'm teaching this lesson is to help us resist and repel all this psychological, humanistic reductionism of the Bible that is preached as gospel in many churches today. Any denomination that's going to promote homosexuals into the priesthood and the pastorship has lost God. Amen. And almost every major denomination in America is now marching that direction if they haven't already arrived. The Episcopals ordain homosexuals. The Methodists ordain homosexuals. The Catholics are marching that direction. The, uh, the Church of Christ, not local, but other Church of Christ. Most of these, the Baptists are one of the few repelling. The Pentecostals are one of the few repelling. But it's always, where, it's, where it's, it's where it's all marching. And we're seeing a lot of these churches split. So not even among the Episcopals, you have the Catholic, excuse me, the conservative Episcopals, you have the Pentecostal Episcopals, and then you have the homosexual Episcopals. Same with the Methodist church, it's being split. Same with the Presbyterian, you have the PCA and the PCUSA. And it's all along homosexual lines and the degradation of the word. Reductionism. Amen. few more to go here. So then, sometimes praying in tongues is the Holy Spirit invoking a blessing upon us or whoever we may be praying for. Giving of thanks. Here's the last thing, the eighth thing we do when we pray in tongues. 1 Corinthians fourteen sixteen seventeen. 17. Else when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupies the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understands not what you say? For verily thou givest thanks well. Sometimes when you're praying in tongues, you're giving thanks. And Paul said, you give some good thanks. But the other's not edified, So there's a time when this needs to be interpreted so everybody can know what you're thanking the Lord for. Praying in the Spirit also causes us to give thanks well. Sometimes thanksgiving is what the Father wants to hear from us, so he tells the Holy Spirit to pray thanksgiving through us in unknown tongues. It all sounds the same to God. Again, having to always have an understanding is really just trying to control God. God gets it all. So the understanding is only for our benefit, not God's. He gets it all. The thanks, this giving of thanks also works to build us up. These things we do when we pray in tongues, and you don't ever know what you're doing unless the Holy Spirit gives you the interpretation or the understanding. Sometimes, though, you can pray in tongues and you just have this inward knowing. And if you were to speak it, that would be the interpretation. Sometimes you know you're making intercession for someone Sometimes in tongues. Sometimes you know you're just thanking the Lord. Sometimes it's just, it's just praise, and you're glorifying God. The best part about tongues is that also the enemy doesn't understand it. And sometimes that needs to happen when you're praying in the Spirit, and the enemy doesn't know what's going on. I, I've only had that, and I've shared that story many times, but I've only got so many stories. We were casting the demon out of that girl who was on drugs, and uh, I would sing in tongues. I mean, it took two hours to cast those demons out, and she was vomiting green stuff and writhing on the floor and cursing us and uh, <laughs> mocking us. And uh, we'd lay hands on her and she'd scream, "That's burning me! Take your hand off me. That's burning me!" And well, like you're going to obey a demon. Take your hands off me, you're hurting me. No, just that's the power of God. So then I'd sing in tongues. Stop singing. I can't understand what you're saying. Well, you sound like some denominational friends of mine. Now I know where they got it. If a demon-possessed woman is telling you to stop praying in tongues because they don't understand it, do you obey? No. You pray in tongues all the more because it's working. And then I'd stop singing in tongues and I'd just pray in tongues. Stop saying that. I don't know what you're saying. But I guarantee you if I'd said something in Spanish, they'd have understood. Or Japanese or anything else I can halfway speak a little of. But it was just amazing. That demon did not know what I was saying and hated it. Hated it. Had more of a, had just about as much problem with it as some denominational Christians do. Now, now, see, I'm a scientist, so I like to sit back and study as much as I can, and I begin to make observations. And I think, that demon doesn't like me praying in tongues and demands I stop. And these, my brothers and sisters in Christ over here, they don't like me praying in tongues and they demand I stop. If they're reading the same Bible but they're coming to a different conclusion, where are they getting that conclusion from? Not that they're demon-possessed, not at all, but we understand doctrines of devils. So I just wanted to teach this to show you there's eight new things because sometimes somebody will be ignorant and say, well, that's just purposeless jib-jab. No, 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 no. There's eight things it accomplishes. You're just ignorant jib-jabbing. Final section, final observation. In accordance with Romans 8 26, the Holy Spirit does really help us. We are fully capable of interceding, giving thanks, singing, etc. in English, but apparently there are times we need his help. He amplifies our abilities and brings help through the means of tongues. So thank God the help doesn't always come the way we want it to come, but thank God it always does come. And I think this is eight lessons. There's one more. We have very thoroughly established this doctrine using more scriptures than some Christians will read in a year. So you're welcome to disagree if you want, but you better have Bible. If you don't have Bible, then it's your thoughts trumping God's thoughts. And that ain't going to happen. Father, I thank you for these lessons. Thank you for the gift of tongues thank you that we can pray in the spirit and work out all these things according to your will and not our will according to your understanding and not our understanding according to your divine goodness and not our limited ability we thank you holy spirit for helping us for helping every christian father help every denomination father by the holy spirit help every church revive the love of the bible and the promotion of jesus christ as savior and lord Father, help us to pray out these mysteries in the spirit. We thank you for these lessons in Jesus' name, amen.